This morning I would like to start by opening up to the beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe with his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What we see here in this passage is this beautiful image of this word, this word that is at the beginning, before the beginning, this word who is with God and who is God, um, this this word for for the for what we see as word is the Greek word logos, and it has this this deep and heavy weight of truth around it. It's it's a true word. It's a good word. It's a right word. And it is God who is speaking this word. And as, as we sung today in, in the hymn, it's, it's creation is, is brought into being by this word. And also if, if this word to withdraw itself, creation would collapse into non-existence. It is a powerful word. And, and we see that this word is described as light. Light that shines into the darkness. Light that shines, it says, into every single person who has been born in the world. Verse 9. This was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. This idea of true light. As opposed to light that isn't as much light. Light that isn't as real. Like this is as real as it gets. And so we have here this concept of this true word that not only that has created the world, but then also speaks into the world, cuts into the world that it has created, and sheds light on every single person who God has created. And as we see in this, in this chapter, that different people respond to this light in different ways. Some um, see the light and they it's like they try and hide from it. They they try and find a corner where there's a shadow. They they don't comprehend the light, they don't understand it. 
uh, and, and they try and run away from it. And then there are those, and so they, they kind of, they close down, they, the, the light perhaps hurts their eyes, and so they shut them all the tighter. Uh, but then there are those who, um, the light shines in and it's like it, it, it opens them up, and they, they respond to this light, um, by belief, it says. Um, to those who have believed, received this light, to those who, and who have believed in this light's name, God has given the power to become the children of God. It's like, it's like the light penetrates and it's like a seed bursting forth with life. It brings an abundant life where, for every heart that accepts this light. I want to explore this concept of this true light, this true truth that penetrates every life um, and exposes us for what we really are. Um, as if we were to go further in, in John chapter eight, <clears throat> um, we see that uh, this, and really what I want to focus on in this element of light is this concept of truth. Uh, what really is truth? Um, if we look at John chapter eight verses thirty-two, <clears throat> um, actually starting with verse verse thirty-one, it says, "Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him." So these are God's people who are responding to Jesus in faith. He says, "If you continue in my word, my logos, if you continue in my truth, then you are my disciples indeed." So you need to continue in it. You're believing right now. You need to continue in my word. Um, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's this idea that it's it's this idea that the knowledge of the truth is so powerful that if we only know the truth and accept it as true, that it will lead to freedom. It will lead to transformation. And so we see here beginning a, a picture of where um, we all are in need of transformation. We are all in a world of, our, of darkness, a world of brokenness of our own making that sinful humanity has created. And so we are all in need of this freedom. We are in bondage under darkness, under sin, under the curse. And if we only know the truth and believe it that it will set us free. It will transform us. And so we see here this, this picture of the good news of Jesus. The truth that we're talking about is, is not just kind of a word spoken, but as we see in John chapter 1, it was a word made flesh. That this truth is a human being. It is God himself come down to us. And that we need to accept this living, walking, breathing truth of Jesus Christ. But it enters first through the mind, through knowing. If you know the truth, then the truth will set you free. Um, but that's, our minds are not the only part of us that exists. Uh, as, as we allow the truth to enter us through our minds, through knowing it, um, it enters into our hearts. And it starts changing who we are. It changes our identity it changes the way that we look at the whole world, the way that we look at ourselves, the way we look at God, the way we look at everything. And, and it also changes um, another part of our hearts, which is our desires. We start to desire different things when we know the truth. 
Right, I think um, if, if you if you look for this, if you uh, if you are on the hunt for it in your day to day life, you'll notice this with maybe your your children or with your friends or with yourself that someone wants something, and then someone tells them the truth. Maybe they didn't have the whole picture, and now they start wanting something else. And so, the as the truth enters into our our minds, it enters into our hearts, and it reshapes our desires. It reshapes who we are because part of the truth that is that Jesus is trying to speak into our lives is that you are mine that you have a new identity that I am going to rename you and I'm going to redeem you and you need to start looking at yourself in this way no longer have you have to hide in the shadows in shame in darkness, in sin, I'm giving you a new identity. And now you can live in the truth of that identity. And as we accept this truth of who Jesus wants to make each and every one of us, as we accept that, and we accept the way that he's given it to us through his blood, then that begins to transform us into the kind of people who live up to this identity. Um, I think a perfect example of this, actually, is if we go a little bit further back in the Gospel of John, back to chapter 1. <clears throat> Jesus is famous for renaming people. Um, <laughs> and so John 1 is just a, just a beautiful little glimpse of that. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, when we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Um, so if, if we go to John chapter 1. Let's look, let's start at verse 40. One of the two which heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So, so Andrew had heard John the Baptist talk about Jesus' identity first. He said, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this transformation actually starts by knowing the identity of Jesus. <clears throat> And this sets one on a journey to want to know who this Lamb of God is who takes away the sins of the world. <clears throat> so Andrew is now really excited about finding this Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So in verse 41, he says that he first, he first findeth his own brother, Simon, implying that he also found others and told them about Jesus. But he first found Simon, his brother, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. We have found the anointed one, the one who is to follow in the line of, of King David and be the king and save us from oppression. <clears throat> and he brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld Simon, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. And then Jesus continues to call people to him. But let's just zoom in on that. Like, this all starts by the truth entering in to Andrew's mind that this person is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then he shared, this truth starts to transform him. And he's now, his desires are changing. He wants to go wherever Jesus goes. Um, he's changing his life as a result of that truth, it's not changing his life first and then 
believing. Like the belief in the truth comes first, and that leads to transformation. Um, and then he finds Peter, <clears throat> and he says, we found the Messiah. Right? He's again identifying who this truth, this living, walking, breathing truth is. He is the Christ. And then when Simon, or as we know him, Peter, but his, his first name was Simon. That was his original name that his parents gave him. Um, Jesus looks at him right away and renames him. He, he recognized him for who he, who he is. He's like, you are Simon and your father is, is Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which means a stone. <clears throat> now, if we look at this, this is really fascinating. This is not the only account of Jesus changing people's names. Um, right? We also have um, James and John, who were called Boanerges, which means like sons of thunder. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there's, there's other examples as well. But <clears throat> Jesus changes Peter's identity, Simon's identity, into Peter, essentially, um, <clears throat> which means stone. Now, like, like, why did Jesus choose stone for Peter? Um, one could maybe think of like Peter's like rock hard obstinance at times, like he was impetuous. He had an idea and he would just run with it, um, jump right into it, type of a thing. Um, we also know through Jesus's words that that Jesus was entrusting Peter with a lot of responsibility. Like towards the end of the Gospel of John, he says to Peter, "Feed my sheep, feed my sheep." Um, he wants Peter to be that to be a, like a stable foundation, and this is. Attested to elsewhere in Scripture, where um, where the apostles and prophets were the foundation upon which the church was built, but Jesus being the chief cornerstone. But Peter was one of those foundational rocks of the early church. But what's so fascinating is Peter. If you if you just look at the life of Peter as he starts to follow Jesus, he is not really much of that kind of a rock yet. He um, he makes a lot of mistakes. He doesn't get everything right. Actually, he doesn't get much right at all. He is he does seem to be the first of the apostles that recognizes um, Jesus as the Messiah. We see here that Andrew is saying, "We have found the Christ. We found the Messiah." But when um, if we were to look at the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus asks his disciples, "Who do men say that I am?" and then when he asks them, "Who do you think that I am?" Peter's the first to answer. He says, "You are the Christ." Um, so. Peter, uh, he, he seems to get some things right, but he's also kind of amongst the disciples who are bickering about who's going to be the greatest. Um, and, and in terms of a situation where he does not really exhibit this rock-like character, um, is, is in Jesus's betrayal and, and arrest and crucifixion, right? Peter want, really wants to be that rock, right? Jesus says, you all are going to desert me. You all are going to leave me. And Peter's like, no, I want to live up to this name that you've given me. I'm going to be that rock that stands by you to the end. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to deny me, Peter, three times. Um, And so this is so beautiful because it applies to each and every one of our lives. God renames us into the people that he is going to turn us into and then from that point on, it's a process. Peter doesn't become that rock right away. He's transformed into that identity by walking with Jesus his whole life. 
We could say by the time Jesus is resurrected and he's talking with Peter, now Peter is that rock, right? Now he's denied him three times, but he is going to be that strong foundation that Jesus, that, that stone that Jesus is going to use to help build a church. But we, if we were to read in Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 2, um, the Apostle Paul is, is writing a little bit about Peter. And he says that Peter made a big mistake. Um, he started to stop eating with the Gentiles um, because he was afraid of the circumcision faction. He was afraid of the Jews who were insisting that all Christians be circumcised. And so Peter was not living up to the gospel at that moment. He was, he was living his life in a way that was different, in the way that actually contradicted the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that all are reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, not through the outward working of the law of Moses. And so even later on in Peter's apostleship, like he is still working on living up to this name that Jesus has given him. And so it is for each one of us. The first step is not to, no, God, don't call me rock yet. Let me wait until I really, really am that rock that you want me to be. And I'll work really hard on it. And then when I finally got it, then you can call me that rock. No. The first step is to embrace the new identity that Jesus has given you. You are his. You are God's redeemed, adopted child. And if you really start to let that truth sink into your mind... It is going to start transforming you into the kind of person who will live up to that truth. Um, We see this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. I've been referencing this verse a lot recently. But Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Like, this is your calling, this is your vocation, or we could say this is your identity. You already have the identity. If you have believed in the good news of Jesus Christ, that through his blood and through his sacrifice, he has reconciled you to God and brought you into the family so that you are joint heirs with Christ. If you believe that identity, that's your vocation. Each and every one of you, that is your vocation, a redeemed child of God. Now we are called to walk worthy of it. And how do we walk worthy of it? By opening our, our minds and our hearts more and more to that truth. That it is not our work, but God's work that is transforming us into the kind of people who will live up to that name that we have now been given. We're beginning, I think, to um, see here how how the truth is transformational. Without the truth, um, really, there is no hope uh, that we we can't really come to terms with or start aligning ourselves with God, who is the ultimate reality of the world, unless we're open to the truth. Um, and I think we're beginning uh, to see how the truth is not just, um, I mean, there's a lot of things that are, we could say are true, right? It's, we could say it's true that all of us are sitting in this room right now. I mean, that's, that's a truth, right? 
but uh, there are certain truths, kind of like how he says this is the true light in John chapter 1. There are certain truths that are true truths, truths that are foundational to every other truth. And I think sometimes we can get distracted by lesser truths. Right? We can get distracted by the truth that we're all sitting in this room here and we're not focusing on the deeper, more transformational truth that God has renamed us for all of those who accept this re-identification. God has renamed us and has reconciled us to him through Christ. That's the truth that is going to transform us. Right? All lesser truths are subordinate to that, that ultimate truth. And of course there are deeper truths of God. Like God is like this infinite being of truth and we're just these tiny finite people with these tiny finite minds that we can't even begin to explore the depths of God's truth and beauty and goodness. Um, but it's, it's almost like the gospel is that, that one little entry point, that one little bit of this, this deep true truth, this truth above all truths that that our finite minds can comprehend, and that if we accept it, it leads to the transformation um, where we will be able to abide in the endless truth of God for all eternity. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> and so I think we can get distracted sometimes that we, we must be people of the truth, Christians, those who, who claim the name of Jesus, those who claim to be disciples of him, we must be, we must be people of the truth. But we need to remember that being people of the truth is far more than simply, um, giving correct information. Um, truth is much more than mere correct information. Um, <clears throat> truth will not be incorrect information. That, that much is true. Okay. Um, and so, uh, definitely to be a, to be someone who is abiding in the truth and someone who is of the truth is, is not going to be someone who is lying and who is telling something that's contradictory to, to, to reality, right? Um, but I think we, we often we just end it there and we say to be someone, people of truth is to, is to avoid lying. But no, to be people of the truth is not just to avoid things that are incorrect, but it is to, it is to speak what is true. And it is not only to speak what is true, what is correct, but it's to speak what is of foundational matters of truth. <clears throat> the truth that it will transform if we let it in. <clears throat> what do we do with the truth? Um, Obviously, there, there's some like obvious answers that come as, as we're kind of reading through the different passages from the Gospel of John here. Um, obviously, something that we must do with the truth is believe it, is to accept it, is to let it in. Um, <clears throat> but we also, um, we need to then love the truth. I would like us to turn to 2 Thessalonians 2.10. <clears throat> This is um, a passage in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians where he's actually talking about um, the end times and the man of lawlessness and um, some pretty spectacular stuff. But in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, <clears throat> um, in the middle of this conversation, he says this, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, 
in them that perish, well, maybe we should back up with, with this kind of phrasing here in the King James. Verse 9, he's talking about the man of lawlessness. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, we see that this man of lawlessness is a man of deception. That the way that Satan works is by twisting the truth. That's all that it took for Adam and Eve to, to, to commit that earth-shattering sin was they started to believe a lie, right? It comes back to the fact that if we know the truth, it's transformational, and if we turn away from it, it's devastating. So here, this man of lawlessness is working with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Do you want to be saved? then start loving the truth. Not just believe it, but love it. Pursue it. Let it delight you over all other earthly delights. And something that I will want to come back to is that the truth is not just meant to be believed. It's not meant to be loved. um, But two other things. It's meant to be spoken, and it's meant to be obeyed. We don't, or at least I don't typically think of truth as something to be obeyed. I think of commands as something to be obeyed, right? Something that is, uh, if you know kind of these grammatical terms, like something that's in the imperative, right? And in in the, in the tone of a command, do this, that requires obedience. But how does a mere statement of the truth require obedience? But that is how God looks at it. That our lives God speaks truth, and this is what the reality is. This is what God is speaking. This is, this is the ultimate reality, and our lives are supposed to conform to that truth. Our lives are supposed to live in sync with that truth in every respect. <clears throat> when you know the truth, when you believe the truth, when you love the truth, you will obey the truth. <clears throat> I think that um, often where we go wrong, where our minds start going astray from the truth that transforms, is we start to look at the wrong things. They might not be incorrect, right? They might be, they might be things that are true, um, but not true in the deepest sense. Um, <clears throat> I mean, think of it this way. If, if I were to ask each one of you to tell your life story, um, there's no possible way that you could share every single detail of your complex, beautiful life to me. <laughs> it would take a lifetime, right? And so you, you have to be selective, right? You have to give the highlights. Well, what would happen to your life story if you started highlighting and emphasizing the wrong things or the things that were not really important, that, I would say, even though you might be giving correct information, you are not really telling the truth. Probably because you yourself don't know what's really important in your life story. And you need to be taught that by the light of Christ shining in you and telling you, this is who you are, this is your story, and I'm bringing you into my story. <clears throat> but going back to that example, like, we must, we have to be selective with the truth that we tell. We can't tell all things. Uh, and so, as human finite beings, 
Part of the imperative for us is we need to know which truths to select. We need to know which truths are important, which truths to focus on, what part of our story is the most important part of our story. And if we are focusing the listener on the wrong things, I would say we are not being truth-tellers, that we're actually ultimately distracting the other from the truth, even if everything we have to say is correct. We see this a lot um, when Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, and really actually interacting with anybody. Read any of the Gospels, and it's not going to be long before you see a situation where people are focusing on one thing, like, really hard, and Jesus says, like, look over here. You're looking at the wrong thing, or you're looking at it in the wrong way. Or a lot of times, when Jesus was being challenged um, by the religious leaders of his time, um, they would be asking the wrong questions. We can sometimes, the way that we can stray from the truth is by asking each other the wrong questions. The questions which, in the end, there are better questions to ask. There are deeper, truer questions which are based on deeper, truer premises um, with deeper, truer motives that will lead the person and lead the person's speech into truth. Um, uh, In terms of me kind of growing up and understanding, like, what does God require for me to be you know, I know I need to tell the truth. I know I need to not lie. Like, one of the things that I always remember wrestling with and struggling with was, like, I, I think, for me, it's been, like, a classic example, because I've heard it used so many times, when, in terms of the person, should, should Christians always tell the truth? It's the example of, uh, you know, Nazi Germany, when there were, you know, people hiding Jews in their house. And so what would you do if you were in that situation and you were getting that pounding on the door and it was the Gestapo and they asked you point blank, do you have any Jews hiding in here? Like, how would you respond? We know that we're supposed to be people of the truth. Um, but if I tell them, yes, they're hiding underneath the dining room table, right, that is going to lead to people dying. And so, well, maybe there are some times where, you know, it's okay to lie. <clears throat> I think that if we only look at it in matters of avoiding lies, um, that we're missing the deeper thing that Jesus wants us to embrace. He wants us to be people who are people of truth, people of the deepest kinds of truth. And so the question, and and we see that Jesus often was confronted by wrong questions. And I would say when the Gestapo came knocking on those people's doors, they were asking the wrong question. Well, it's not necessarily wrong to ask, hey, do you have any Jews in your house? But the motive was was very bad. Um, And so the um, Nazi Germany was caught in a huge lie, right? Many huge lies at that time. The lie that that Jews are somehow less than human. The lie that we need to get rid of them and all of our problems will be solved. And and so, like, there's a big lie that's a set of lies that are behind that simple question. And so, as people of the truth, God wants us to be the kind of people who will help see how it's not just about giving correct information. God doesn't want us to lie, but 
instead of just simply saying, should I give the correct information or not, like, how can we speak into these people's lives in a way that will show them, like, how they're, pe- they're emphasizing the wrong things and they've skewed things to the point where they're seeing the bigger picture of reality all wrong. That's how we should be living our lives. <clears throat> and that the response to that might be costly, right? To, to answer the, the Gestapo knocking on the door uh, with, <clears throat> like, why do you believe, with, with maybe responding with a question, like, why do you believe that Jews are less than human? Like, that, would, might, that might cost you your life in, you know, 1939, 1940 Germany. Um, and it will not necessarily guarantee that uh, that they're not going to search your house and try and find anyone that you may be hiding. But it was not a guarantee anyway. Um, even if if you were to lie, they would they could just as well search your house anyway. And so we need to. And this this is part of truth telling too. Jesus is very careful in his teaching, and this is a teaching that that I think we as a as a denomination we we emphasize is that um, our yes should be yes and our no should be no, and that we should not um, overstate things. <clears throat> like it says in James, like we shouldn't say, "Oh yeah, I'm going over here, and then I'm going to do business in this city and that city." Like no, we should be humble people people with a humble word that says, um, well, if the Lord wills, because in the end, I'm not in control of my life. <clears throat> um, if we have that kind of mentality of God is in control, not me, it will free us to be people who boldly, radically speak the truth into difficult situations where it needs to be spoken. <clears throat> and I want us... Um, as we kind of come to a close, maybe one or two more passages, we see Jesus do this. This is a moment in his life where his answer to a question is literally the difference between life and death for him. Um, We see it in Mark chapter 14. Um, He's before the Sanhedrin. This is uh, Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 60. Um, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, because a lot of people were speaking a lot of untrue things about Jesus, but Jesus isn't answering one of them. Right? There's a lot of, lot of untruth out there. Jesus is keeping silent, which is really interesting. He's not correcting all the, the untruths in that moment. But let's hold our breaths because something's about to happen. Answerest thou nothing, said the high priest. What is it which these witnesses against thee? These witness against thee, but he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus has been holding out for the most important question. Because that's a question that he can answer. <clears throat> it's going to be a question that's going to cost him his life. But that's the one he's been waiting for. And Jesus said, I am And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tears his clothes and says, what witnesses do we need? This man is accused of blasphemy. And so here we see that it's worth holding out for the right question and with answering it with simple clarity. And that it might cost us dearly but it is the truth that if that person 
opens their eyes to it, it will lead to transformation. It will lead to a transformed heart, which will start producing transformed actions and fruit in someone's life. We need to be the kind of people who are ready to speak the truth of the Son of God, of the great I Am, at all costs. May God bless his word.